Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, word of the Lord, we say thanks be to God. Hey, Lord, be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. A very happy Sunday to you all and a happy Father's Day as well. Today, it's impossible to find a tea time anywhere. Sports are probably playing on the television and many joys abound. But it's also a day that can bring mixed emotions for many. Whatever emotions we feel on this day are directly related to the role our father played in our life. The fact that the first person of the Trinity is most truly known as Father, it must not be lost on us today of all days. Now, we are in a sermon series that we're calling The Heart of Worship, and Pastor Shane kicked us off last week, and while we most often associate worship with music in the church, worship is actually far more all-encompassing. A dear friend of TCC's, the Reverend Dr. Tim Brown, wrote an essay once entitled, Life as worship. What we're trying to communicate is the reality that in everything we do, we worship. At the core of everything we do isn't what we do, it's not how we do it, or even why. At the core of everything we do is who we're doing it for. And if one of the most important components of our lives is work, then the question for today is who are we working for? No matter what work looks like for us all, whether you deliver mail, homeschool your children, fix faulty electrical wiring, etc., who are you doing that work for? The Apostle Paul today in our passage of Scripture has a persuading argument as to answer that question. Let's see what he has to say to us today. Now, the Judeo-Christian understanding of work starts at the very beginning. In the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we are told, in the beginning God created. Now theologically, we refer to this moment as creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. There was nothing, God acted, then there was something. This action was not passive, creation did not happen randomly, God was active. He worked. And at the beginning of chapter 2, after God has made all things, we're told, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, if we believe that God exists, and we believe that God is good and incapable of bad, then the fact God works must mean that, what? Work is good. If God works, then work is good and holy. And if God also created man and woman in his age, then we, in his image, then we can assume we are made for work as well. In fact, later on in chapter two, well before sin has entered into the world, entered into the garden, we're told in verse 15, 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. See, work is a part of paradise. Biblical scholar Ben Witherington wrote, It is perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working or, more specifically, living in the constant cycle of work and rest. Jesus himself will say in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, verse 17, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Work as a part of paradise, well, that may sound quite strange to you right now. We most often associate the resources, stability, and leisure afforded by our work as the sole purpose that we work at all. And while God models the balance we are meant to strike between work and rest as he himself rested on the seventh day of creation after he was done working, if your relationship with work feels ever so slightly off, if not worse, then you are not alone. The Bible tells us that there's a reason for that feeling. See, while still in the garden, Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent and they disobey the only command that God had given them. And as a consequence, humanity's relationship to work is forever altered. It tells us in Genesis 3, 16 to 19, it says, To the woman, he said, this is God speaking, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." The work of food cultivation, the work of child rearing, even the work of marriage are forever altered. Work itself is still good, but our relationship to it has been changed. The balance between work and rest, well, that becomes a complete mess. We see that today quite profoundly. Workers are trafficked all around the world, paid nothing for backbreaking labor. Wealth and those who share in it become kingpins over the entire flow of society. The church itself has not been immune to this breach of God's good intention. Over many centuries, the church began to create a distinction between two groups of workers. The first group was comprised of those who work for the church. Priests, monks, nuns, abbots, etc. The second group was comprised of everyone else. Now, I dare you to take a wild guess as to which was thought to be more important. There was holy work, the important work, God's work over here. And then there was the work that was allowed because it supported the real work of the church over here. Now, naturally, this led to egregious abuses of power with individuals vying for positions of religious authority merely because those were the most influential and personally beneficial jobs around. But when the reformers put their lives on the line pointing the church back to the Bible, this distinction was interrogated. The church was pointed back to passages like the one that opened our time together today. What the reformers reminded us all about is what's most important. It isn't what we do, 
It isn't how we do it. It isn't even why. What's most important is who we do it for. Remember Colossians 3.17, our passage today, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in a modern-day society that screams at us to do only what we're passionate about for a cause that matters to us while simultaneously providing structure and flexibility in which we feel fulfilled and happy every day, and, we, and should we get bored or slightly disenchanted ever, we should quit because that job that will provide the satisfaction and contentment we're so desperate for, well, we're told that that's just right around the corner. In our modern day age, the message of doing our work in the name of the Lord Jesus, doing our work for the Lord Jesus, well, that's just radical. Now, is Paul advocating for Christians to shut up and work even if they're terrible at what they're doing and have to utilize any number of unhealthy coping mechanisms just to get by because they hate it so much? Absolutely not. Paul speaks at length about the gifts God has given all of his children and the responsibility we have to live into those gifts. John Van Ryan, a beloved member of our community, is one of the most creative, brilliant, highly skilled people I have ever or probably will ever meet. You should see the work that he has done at our East Campus while also knowing how quickly he was able to complete that work. It's mind-blowing, it's staggering, it's absolutely surreal. Now, would it be a good vocational fit if John had a job writing those 90-step instruction manuals for Ikea furniture? Probably not. When you ask John how he does what he does, it usually boils down to two steps. See it? Do it. I don't think I would have gotten very far with those instructions when I put our dressers together in our bedroom. See, throughout all of Paul's writings to the church, he makes it clear that our gifts and passions, those are important. But what he tells us in our passage today is that they're not the most important. Not even the how and the why we do what we do. Even if we do what we do ethically, fairly, generously, loving people more than prophets, all important ways that we reflect the kingdom of God to the world— what Paul is telling us is that the most important thing in our relationship to our work is who or what we're doing that work for. See, if we pursue our work on the grounds of passion alone, doing it for our own satisfaction, well, when those passions change, so will our work. And we will feel forever dissatisfied waiting for the next thing and the next thing after that. If we do our work for our families, hoping, praying we will make them proud, or even in the noble cause of working to put food on the table, well, when our family eventually, inevitably, fails to notice and appreciate our work as we feel they should, we will grow resentful and bitter. If we do our work for the sake of money, for the security we are told it will bring, the things it can buy, we will never have enough, and we'll be constantly anxious that we might lose it, and therefore our work will have been in vain. See, at some level, we all know this to be true. 
the heart of the American dream, like work, it's good. With effort, striving, determination, an individual can provide more for his or her children than he or she had growing up. But when the American dream is co-opted by the lie that more is always better, that excess and vanity are natural results of hard work, we have lost the heart of what God created work to be in the first place. We misunderstand Christianity when we believe that everything God has done for us is ultimately for us. The God we worship, the true, one, living God, is a jealous God. That's good. He didn't send his son to die for the sins of the world so that we could give him a proverbial slap on the back before writing a thank you note attached to a basket of artisanal jams. He sent his son to die for the sins of the world so that he could bring himself glory through us. He didn't create us so that we could do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, as it most suited us in that moment. He created us to worship him. That's what we're made for. That is our ultimate purpose, to worship the one who loves us right here, right now, through our, though our actions would make us completely unlovable otherwise. He wants us to himself, and he wants us to live out every facet of our lives for him, including our work. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Irrigate the fields for him. Pour the latte for him. Build, fix, clean for him. Care for the men and women in our correctional facilities for him. And if you're doing it for him, then do it full bore. Later on in Colossians 3, Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus with all your heart. That is proper worship. That is why we work. Not how, not what, not why, not where, but for whom. Whatever God has you doing in your life, whatever work he has called you to, that work is meant to be good. That work falls away from its intended goodness when who we're doing that work for becomes misaligned. Work for Jesus. Do it for him. Strive in his name, giving thanks to God the Father all the while. And do it knowing that God is at work right here, right now, amongst us. Our labor is not in vain. We can trust that God will utilize our labors for his good, for his glory, for his redemptive purposes for the world because he acted for his good. He acted for his glory, for his redemptive purposes for the world when he sent Jesus Christ to take our place on the cross. He wants us. He loves us. And when the redemptive work he has begun is complete, when Jesus returns, paradise is restored once and for all, we will work. We will work for him. We will rest in him and it will be worship. So start now. No matter your labor, if it is done for him, it will bear fruit. It will not be in vain. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus with all your heart. I want to finish with a, an excerpt. It's a little lengthy, so bear with me, but I think it's worth it. It's from one of my favorite books, Franny and Zooey, 
It's written by J.D. Salinger, who also wrote The Catcher in the Rye. It's a fictional story about a family whose five adult children are all exceptionally brilliant. As children, they were all featured on a radio show called Wise Child that highlighted their brilliance. At the end of the book, Zooey is talking to his sister Franny on the phone, consoling her in a moment of her own emotional distress. He references their deceased eldest brother Seymour many times as he tells her this. And please note, I've changed a few words for the sake of appropriateness. He said, I remember about the first time I ever went on Wise Child. I subbed for Walt a few times when he was in a cast. Anyway, I started complaining one night before the broadcast. Seymour told me to shine my shoes just as I was going out the door with Waker. I was furious. The studio audience were all morons. The announcer was a moron. The sponsors were morons. And I just wasn't going to shine my shoes for them, I told Seymour. I said they couldn't see them anyway where we sat. He said to shine them anyway. He said to shine them for the fat lady. I didn't know what he was talking about, but he had a very Seymour look on his face and so I did it. He never did tell me who the fat lady was, but I shined my shoes for this fat lady every time I ever went on the air again. All the years you and I were on the program together, if you remember. I don't think I missed more than just a couple of times. This terribly clear, clear picture of the fat lady formed in my mind. I had her sitting on this porch all day swatting flies with her radio going full blast from morning till night. I figured the heat was terrible, and I don't know. Anyway, it seemed clear why Seymour wanted to shine my shoes when I went on the air. It made sense. Franny was standing. She had taken her hand away from her face to hold the phone with two hands. He told me to, she said into the phone. He told me to be funny for the fat lady once. She released one hand from the phone and placed it very briefly on the crown of her head, then went back to holding the phone with both hands. I didn't ever picture her on a porch. I had her in an awful wicker chair. She had the radio going full blast all day. Mine did too. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Let me tell you something now, buddy. Are you listening? Franny, looking extremely tense, nodded. I don't care where an actor acts. It can be in summer stock. It can be over a radio. It can be over television. It can be in a Broadway theater complete with the most fashionable, most well-fed, most sunburned-looking audience you can imagine. But I'll tell you a terrible secret. Are you listening to me? There isn't anyone out there who isn't Seymour's fat lady. There isn't anyone anywhere that isn't Seymour's fat lady. Do you know that? Don't you know that secret yet? And don't you know, listen to me now, don't you know who that fat lady really is? Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. It's Christ himself. Christ himself, buddy. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus with all your heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.